take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. There was Jesus, as long as said, in all the trials we face, all the difficulties that we go through, the situations of our life, there, in the midst of all that, is Jesus right there with us. He'll never leave us from the saints. Praise the Lord for that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'd like to begin a series of messages today on the book of 1 Timothy. I haven't done a book study in a long time, and this is one that I feel is very practical for us, as you'll see in just a moment. But Jesus called 12 men to follow him, apostles of his, disciples of his, to learn from him, to minister to him and, and with him. And Paul also, the author of 1 Timothy, Paul also was called by Christ personally after the resurrection of Christ, after the ascension of Christ. And Daryl read about it in Acts chapter 9 this morning when Saul, Paul that we know, met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And there in that blinding light saw the Lord Jesus Christ heard from him, recognized and by faith addressed him as Lord, indicating salvation as we, uh, as we look through that later. But we have uh, the salvation of the Apostle Paul and the call of the Apostle Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in turn calls several men to follow him to learn from him, to minister to and, and with him, and Timothy was one of these men. The timing of the writing of 1 Timothy is following Paul's first release from when he was imprisoned. Paul revisited some of the key churches that he had visited on his first missionary journey, and there, including Ephesus, is one important one because as Paul left from there, he went on to Macedonia, leaving Timothy, young Timothy, as a pastor to the church of Ephesus. From Macedonia, then Paul wrote back to Ephesus, to Timothy, this first letter, this first epistle, 1 Timothy, to be instructions for young Timothy as pastor and to be an encouragement to him. 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy are the last three books of the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote. And these three last letters are called the Pastoral Epistles. Now, while they were addressed to pastors, they're not just for pastors. They deal with the practical matters of church life, of church organization, and of church ministry. I've entitled us today an introduction to 1 Timothy. Father, I ask right now that you allow me to share very clearly the truth you laid upon my heart in this particular passage as we begin to get an understanding of who Paul was as a servant of yours, who his young Timothy was as a pastor of Ephesus, and what we're going to learn as we step through. Even today, in this introduction, I pray that you open our eyes to some key characteristics that should be present in our lives, that we would make sure that they are, that we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and that we are exemplifying those characteristics day by day. 
Thank you. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Let's look at the author again of 1 Timothy. And I say the author of 1 Timothy because Paul is a human instrument in which God used to record the information throughout all of the Bible. We're told over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 about all of the writers of Scripture. says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God took men such as Paul and directed him to write and directed him what to write so that God's truth was communicated clearly uh, using this particular man and other men to write their vocabulary, their style, and yet perfectly and completely communicating God's truth. So Paul, we are familiar with, I think any student of the Bible would recognize the name the Apostle Paul. But we uh, learn a few things about him in the second century. Uh, a church historian described Paul. Now, this is just a, a hundred years after, very close to when uh, they would have been talking about Paul and who it was and had a little bit more idea. But they described him as a man's small statue with a bald head and crooked legs and a good state of body with eyebrows meeting, a nose somewhat hooked and full of friendliness. That's the Apostle Paul. When you read the scripture of what he wrote, you might have a little picture in your mind. I remember my youth pastor, that being the case with him, you'd hear him speak on the radio, and this is this powerful voice and man communicating the truth of God's word, and you meet him in, in person, and Frank was about this half tall. And uh, it didn't look nearly the picture you may have had in mind as you listen to him on the radio or on the tape uh, as he shared the message of God's Word. The Apostle Paul was that way to a certain degree. What you read gives you an impression of this great big mighty man that uh, was full of uh, God's truth and, and boldness, etc. But, um, but yet his personal, his person as you would meet him would be a little different looking. Matter of fact, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10, uh, 10, uh, some of the people at Corinth describe him this way. It said his letters, his epistles there, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And so in person, he did not make as big of an impression as what he did in his writings. But God led him in the writings, and whatever his physical stature may have been. His spiritual stature was unsurpassed. He was one of a kind when it came to the work of the Lord. I can't think of any New Testament apostle that did more than uh, the apostle Paul, even Peter himself. He was used of God, excuse me, for the initial spread of the gospel throughout the Gentile world, and therefore he was called the apostle to the Gentiles. In his family, he was born to a Jewish family, but uh, he held Roman citizenship, possibly because he was born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia. His Hebrew name was Saul, most likely named after King Saul, but on the first missionary journey, he changed it to Paul. Um, he had a traditional Orthodox Jewish upbringing. 
over in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he describes it somewhat as he says, He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which was of the law, blameless. He was a man that would have been called by all of the Jews and other Pharisees as one of the top dogs, if you would, of their religion. Top leaders. He was zealous for what he was doing for God, even though his zeal was misplaced. That's one of the problems that we can experience today. There are many people that have zeal for God today. They have a great sincerity to serve God, but they're sincerely wrong in either who they're serving or how they're serving. We need to be careful to do God's way and to come to the proper God to who we serve. But we have this family being one of, uh, of a great heritage, you may say. And he was very zealous for Judaism in Galatians 1.14. He says, I profited in the Jewish religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of the fathers. But thanks be to God, he was not just a highly religious man. You can be religious and not know God at all. And that's where Paul was at that point. He knew God of the Old Testament in the sense of a head knowledge, but he had not come to a heart understanding and a heart reception of Jesus Christ as his Savior. Not until the Damascus Road that, that uh, Darrell read about in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. On the way to Damascus to, to continue the persecution that he was doing of the Christians, he met face to face with the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. And it described it as a great light that he saw. And he saw the Lord Jesus Christ because he testified later that he had seen them. And the only place that would be possible would have been at this particular Damascus Road. And he heard him speak and had a conversation with him, as I said a while ago, where he called him and addressed him, Lord, recognizing Jesus as his Lord, salvation. And he responded then, we could say, by believing and receiving Christ. That's the only way anybody ever comes to salvation in a heart knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the point where we realize we can do it not, nothing of ourselves. We must do and believe and receive what he did for us. That's the whole reason that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am chief. But if, the, if God, the Lord Jesus Christ, can save the Apostle Paul, who persecuted the church, persecuted anyone even to death, he can save any sinner here today. And we need to, to understand that. We're all sinners. And the Bible says that if we are guilty of one sin, we're guilty of all. And so if we're guilty of all, then you can't be more guilty than me or maybe more guilty than you. We're all the same guilty before God. <clears throat> then he was called an apostle. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment 
of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. An apostle of all. Apostle means one sent on mission to do something as one's personal representative. That's specific. In a general sense, there were many men that were apostles in the church. Uh, the Greek word apostolos just means messengers. And there were some people that were called apostles, but they were called messengers, not really apostles, but the same Greek word was used. Similar to that of deacon. You know, the deaconos, the word for where we get deacon, is also used many other times of other people in the church. And it says that they were ministers in the church or servants in the church. They served in some capacity. And so we're all to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be ministers of the Lord in the church. We're to be deaconists, if you would, uh, of the church ministers. But only when it was an official position was it translated as deacon. And so with apostolates, there were many messengers within the church uh, that were there. But it was only those that were official apostles that it was translated as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, one had to be called by Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know anybody today living that the Lord Jesus Christ has appeared to them bodily and said, I want you to be an apostle of Jesus Christ for me. Matter of fact, the last person that that happened to was the Apostle Paul. That's all of the apostles. The apostles have uh, vanished off the scene since then. But we have that one, they had to be called by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They had to have seen the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And they had to have been taught the gospel. They had learned the gospel from him. And now Paul joined those ranks. He was definitely called to be an apostle. Romans 1.1 says that Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Even in verse Timothy 1 and verse 12, if you'll notice there in verse 12, he wrote, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul recognized that it was the Lord Jesus Christ that put him into the ministry. He was called to be an apostle by the Lord Jesus. Not only did we see the authority that he had as an apostle of God, but we see his authority also in the statement that was, uh, he was called to be an apostle by the commandment of God, uh, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. Now the statement, commandment there, uh, um, he's called to be an apostle by the commandment of God, our Savior, um, he was given a specific responsibility to minister in general and to write scripture specifically. And he was done so by God our Savior. That statement does not appear elsewhere in scripture except for here in, in the pastoral epistles where you'll find it ten times that Paul addressed God that way. It has its root truth in the Old Testament. Where God is uh, our deliverer from sin. 
He is our Savior, our source of salvation. And so it is certainly true. And he says that commandment has come from the Lord Jesus Christ, which is or who is our hope. And that hope is exactly what Jesus Christ is. We have the hope of heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary and rose again. That hope is not something that we, well, I hope it's going to happen type of a statement, but it means a confident assurance in. We have that definite, steadfast hope. We read about it over in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 where it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as the hope which we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is a confident assurance. Therefore, in Colossians 1.27, it reads, Christ in you, that's salvation, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the confident assurance that when Christ is in us, we're saved, that one day we will have a glorified body and be in the presence of God the Father, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the writer the human instrument that God used to pen these words. Now look at the recipient, Timothy, in verse 2. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Timothy, the word means one who honors God. Most likely he was named by his mother, his godly mother Eunice. Uh, she was a devout Jew before she became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll note in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, that is genuine faith, that is in thee, Timothy is talking about, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Genuine faith of Timothy was first seen in Timothy's grandmother and in his mother. And then Tim, Paul told Timothy in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Verses 14, of, let me see, 14 and 15. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have been taught, who taught him? That from a child you've known the scriptures. It's his mother and his grandmother that taught him the truth of God's Word. And it was that important truth that he held on to. Timothy, one who honors God. My own son in the faith, he called him. He was a spiritual convert of the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it be great? How many of you have been led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul? Uh, yeah. Nobody has that kind of a testimony. Uh, matter of fact, I'll tell you in just a moment uh, a statement about that. But here, this is Timothy, one who was led to the Lord by Paul himself. Um, it is every parent's great joy when their child comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I know some of you that have come and testified and said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. My son just trusted the Lord Jesus Christ last night. And a testimony like that brings great joy to our hearts. Vicki and I have experienced it with our children as they were growing up. And it is true not only with our physical children, but it's true with our spiritual children. Your spiritual children may be people not just that if you led to the Lord. It may be people that you're teaching in a Sunday school class. 
It may be in a youth ministry class. It may be in children's church. It may be uh, uh, in a setting like this. You're my spiritual children that I minister to. And in, in 3 John verse 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That is our responsibility. That's what I want for you. There's no greater thing that I could ever teach you to do than to walk, to obey the truth of God's Word. You got that? You got it all. And so you can't do what you don't know. You've got to learn it. But as we learn it and we do it, we are pleasing not only a pastor, but we're pleasing our Heavenly Father who takes great joy in His children walking in the truth. Of all Paul's spiritual children, there are two that stood out, Timothy and Titus. Titus was a young man, a pastor, that uh, was uh, sent to the Isle of Crete to be a pastor there. And Timothy was sent to Ephesus, left in Ephesus to be their pastor at that church. <clears throat> Timothy, I believe, most reflected Paul's teachings, God's teachings. Uh, Paul said of him over in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 19 and following, Paul said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man uh, like-minded, like unto him, like-minded, who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him of Timothy, that as a son with a father, he had served with me in the gospel. He had been faithful to serve. And that was what we see of Paul and his thoughts about this young man, Timothy. At the writing of 1 Timothy, Timothy had been with Paul ministering for about 15 years. 15 years of being discipled, 15 years of being taught, 15 years of being encouraged and instructed. It makes my five years of Bible college look a little low. What he would have learned from the Apostle Paul. He was not only this young man with a heart for the Lord that had trusted Christ, not just a, a son of, spiritual son of the Apostle Paul, entrusted by him, but he was an example of the believers. Paul even instructed him to be so over in uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 12. It says, Look, that no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And he gave you six areas. We'll look at that later when we get there. But he was to be an example of the believers. We are to be an example of the believers. And this is what I want you to take home from with you today of these particular five things that Paul shared with us about Timothy's character. The first one we saw there in verse 2, and Timothy, my own son in the faith, he was saved, genuinely saved. Saving faith is the first thing that we need. My son in the faith, he was exactly that. It's kind of hard uh, to be a child of faith without a genuine salvation. My baby can't be a child of faith. That's what it means. 
And so he had trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, that is important. Um, not everyone that goes to church is genuinely saved. I understand that. It's a sad thought to think that people, even possibly that someone could sit in a church such as ours and hear the teaching and preaching from the Word of God, hear the gospel given so often, and yet walk out and say, well, I, you know, I've kind of believed in God all my life, you know. Um, I, you know. And they just kind of mingle on, continue on with their life, and, and one day they die and they end up in hell. They how did this happen? Because they had a head knowledge about God, but they never come to a personal relationship with Him. They never got to the point where they made a choice to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what's so important. Not just believing that there's a God, not just believing who He is, not just believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. But what did He do for that war? He did it to pay for my sin. And it's not an automatic thing. I've got to invite Him into my life to do that. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is that choice that I make to receive Jesus Christ that brings salvation. He has saving faith. Make sure that you do. Secondly, there was a continuing obedience. In the New Testament, it teaches repeatedly that the hallmark of a true believer is obedience. We sing about it in the little song, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. It is a demonstration of genuine faith. Our obedience. Jesus said it in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Be obedient to the things that I've said unto you. If you love me, uh, it's a demonstration of the genuineness that is there. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, If thou put the brethren, Paul saying to Timothy, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Good doctrine, whereunto you have attained. The word attained means which you have been following. Timothy had been obedient, had been following the good doctrine in which he had been given. And so that is a, a characteristic of him of a continuing obedience in his life. The third thing that we see of characteristic is a humble service. Uh, true salvation is also demonstrated by a servant's heart. A person that is genuinely saved, I think, is going to have deep down a desire to serve God in some capacity, some way, to be able to serve and to give unto the Lord uh, from themselves. Paul asked Timothy to remain in Ephesus. Ephesus was a difficult uh, situation, a difficult church, had some problems going on. Uh, they needed some instruction. They had needs that needed to be met. And so Timothy, when he was asked, willingly said he would remain. Paul called Timothy my fellow worker, my fellow servant in the Lord. He had a servant's heart. 
And he did so willingly. Humble service. And then the fourth thing that we see is that of sound doctrine. We already mentioned that over in chapter 4 and verse 6 that he had attained unto that. He was, he was following that regularly. Paul encouraged Timothy to continue that sound doctrine over in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Paul told Timothy, says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There's coming a time when there's going to be people that are sitting under the preaching. Some of them, I believe, will be genuinely saved. That will choose no longer to stay under the sound doctrine of teaching, but they will go looking for another, more entertaining type of a setting. And he said, I want to remind you to continue to preach the word, to continue to be faithful to teach the doctrine, because that is what changes the life. And we need to have that as well. Sound doctrine in our lives. As I said a while ago, you can't do what you don't know. God's Word is full of doctrine to teachings, And we need to learn them. And then the last thing we see of this example of the believers that Timothy was, of his character, was courageous convictions. Timothy maintained his convictions to the very end. What is the conviction? Conviction is something that you are convinced is the right thing to do before God. It is your, you're convinced of it, your conviction. It's not just an opinion, but something that you believe and is supported in Scripture. And uh, Timothy held on to his convictions to the end. Church history tells us that uh, he was martyred some 30 years later in Ephesus because he opposed the worship of the goddess Diana. He stood his ground to the very end. Those who want to make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ must stand on their godly convictions. Any dead fish can float down the stream. But it takes effort to overcome the current. It takes effort to overcome the things of this world today. The world, Paul said to Timothy, is waxing worse and worse. We see it amongst us today. We recognize it. But if we can step back and see from history the changes, oh, where even we stand today, we would think, is quite degraded from where we should be. As the world moves, we have a tendency to move with it. We're just not as bad as the world. But we may be where the world was 15, 20 years ago. It's important for us to take a stand and stand on our God-given convictions. In 1993, Willie Nelson was 60 years old, and he had some unusual advice for his 23-year-old daughter. The singer said, Paula, look at everything I do closely and do exactly the opposite. 
Look at everything that I do closely and do exactly the opposite. Around the same age, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Bad example, good example. You know which one we should be. The choice is yours. Every one of us has the choice. We make the decisions with our life that reveals whether we are a good example to follow or whether we are a bad example to follow. You may not have been led to the Lord, but Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ by an Apostle Paul, someone like that. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are to have a continuing obedience to God's Word. You're to have a humble service and you're to have sound doctrine in your life and you're to have courageous convictions. What kind of an example are you in these areas? Those of you that are genuinely saved, those four areas, what kind of an example are you to your children, to your co-workers, your spouse, to your parents, extended family, friends? What kind of example are you? If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I've ever made a choice to receive Christ. Then don't leave out of here today without making that choice. Let's bow our heads. And ask God in prayer. Father.